Who knows Bono from U2? Anybody know Bono from U2? A little popular, but he's fading away in terms of like any younger generation even caring about who he is because they've been around for over close to 30 years now. But um, Bono, in the last 10 years or so, became a little bit more um, public about his faith and his, uh, you know, the things he cares about. And um, he, was, he was interviewed by Focus on the Family, uh, a Christian organization that, that helps nurture families. And uh, in this interview... Bono, I guess, was talking about like, why he was getting more involved in, in certain areas in the world and, and ways where he can you know, lend a hand or give or sponsor or support. And um, this, this pastor told Bono as he was thinking about these things, because Bono was wondering, what can I do? How can I help? And, the, and Bono says in this interview that the pastor told him, Bono, I guess that's what he called him, stop asking God to bless what you're doing, Bono. Which, by the way, Bono said, I constantly do ask God to bless what I'm doing. Does anybody do that? You constantly ask God to bless what you do? Bono's like, that's what I do. But the pastor said to him, hey, stop asking God to bless what you're doing. Find out what God is doing, because it's already blessed. And then Bono went on to say, when you align yourself with God's purposes as described in scriptures, something special happens to your life. Comes from a you know, different source and, and often, sometimes truth, even prophetic truth, can come from a, from a unique source. But if we could only figure that out like a couple of times in our life, to find out what God is doing and to jump into it, instead of asking God to just jump in to what we're doing. I want to share a song with you. It was written probably first century or so, and it was not written by Bono, because he wasn't around then, but it was written by the mother of Jesus, Mary. And she sang this song in between, or she expressed the lyrics of this song in between her finding out that she is going to hold the Son of God in her womb to um, kind of in between how everything just really unfolds at that point. (laughs) You know, the birth, the narrative, the angels, everything going on, and then the life of Jesus. And I want to read this song with you today. It's found in Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Mary says these words, or sings them, or expresses them. It's, it's often called the, the, the Magnificent, because it's the first word in Latin when this is translated. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of, the, of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. That's the song. Let's just pray. Father, um, so good to be together as a church community today and our friends and guests who are joining us. We long so much that you would intersect our hearts and our lives today. In this final moment when we um, pay attention to the season of Advent, the season of coming, the coming of your son, the return of your son, the fullness of new creation one day, God, open our hearts and minds. Open our hearts and minds, God. For some that really need a word from you today, God. And maybe in my incapacity or inadequacy, Lord, 
Um, it's not specifically what I say or do, but Lord, may your Holy Spirit be at work. God, as we pray for even our church community and um, the end of this season, God, we bring all things to you and ask that you would lead us and guide us. Go before us this week as we invite some friends out next Sunday in anticipation that the seeds of the gospel will be sown, re-sown in our hearts, reminded, celebrated, but sown in some hearts in fresh ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This song is like a statement of faith, not a doctrinal statement of faith, not that like, what are the 10 things you believe? It's not a propositional statement or propositional truth to say, we believe X, Y, and Z, but it's a statement of faith in a sense that it's prophetic. It's, it's a proclamation. Mary sings this song or expresses these words, and she really sings it in a prophetic way because she sings it before anything really unfolds. That's why it's a statement of faith. She, she sings it and proclaims it before anything unfolds, before her or Elizabeth give birth, before the angels come and sing to the shepherds, before the wise men ever show up with gifts, before Jesus grows and starts his ministry 30 years later. He, she sings this and proclaims this in faith. In fact, nothing has changed yet as she expresses these words but she's already thanking God for righting the wrongs in favor of the powerless. She says it with faith. Thomas Cahill, who's a Jewish writer and has written some great uh, historical books, wrote one called The Everlasting Hills on the Life and Times Before Jesus. And he says about this moment, he says, no one knows it yet, but the poor and the hungry and the humiliated have won. No one knows it yet, but they've won. N.T. Wright says that this song is the gospel before the gospel. That it's, it's a fierce, bright shout of triumph 30 years before Jesus dies on Calvary or rises on Easter. Mary's song is a statement of faith, believing what will come, what God will do. This week, I was at a funeral um, with my wife's family. Uh, someone in her family had passed away, and, and it was uh, her aunt, and she was older in life, and, and I can't remember when in her life she became a follower of Christ, her and her sister, which is my, mom, my, my wife's mom. Uh, and it was interesting to be there uh, at this funeral. One of the things that I did catch, though, is there was this confident kind of stance that this person, my wife's aunt, was already in God's presence. Just this, this strong belief and confidence that she is at peace with God. Now, we're not going to get into exactly what that means and how Paul describes it and what we look about it in the scriptures, but the, the talk and the tone was as if heaven was already her reality. It was really, it was a statement of faith, this statement of faith, believing this truth, this promise that when you're absent with the body as a believer, you're present with the Lord. And, and faith is, is one of the kind of the side themes of Advent that doesn't get the top four picks. You know, the top four picks are hope and peace and love and joy. And then I've been reminded that faith is one of the, the other themes of Advent. And for sure it is, because, I mean, Advent is about the coming of Christ. And, and if we don't have faith in that, you know, we need faith to believe that. That is something that is beyond our control, Right? Often I tell Christians uh, if they're struggling about something or wondering if, if, God, if they can trust God with something in their life or they can trust God with waiting on something or they can trust God with giving or generosity. And I often say, 
how can you not trust God with a hundred bucks, but you somehow miraculously believe he's going to put you into heaven one day? I'm like, man, like, I mean, I think it's the other one's easier. We have, we have a stance of faith, right? Mary teaches us how to live and wait with faith. And the, but the beauty of this song is that it's not about her. The beauty of this song is it's about what God is doing and going to do, and she stands on that. And the beauty of this song is that it's, it's not for her, it's for the sake of others. She sings and, 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 and expresses these words for the powerless and the poor and the hungry. And that's often in contrast to the kind of faith that we experience in our culture. And you're like saying, well, what kind of faith is in culture? But even Christians have been influenced by how we pursue faith by what our culture tells us we need or deserve or want or desire. The contrast of the kind of faith that individualism in our contrast, in our culture, has made us buy into. Because when we have faith, it's for us, for me, that God's going to do something for me. Mary's song shows us something different. I came across a tweet of a pastor that I know in, in New York. His name is Rich. And uh, he, he says that he wrote this. And, and he, I mean, I love following him on Twitter because he's, he's not just sharing stories and pictures and kind of weird things and cats. He's, he's he, like, he often shares some good stuff. And, and he said this this week, and it, it just stuck with me. And I'm like, I got to share this. He says, joy comes not when we put God in the center of our lives, but when we put ourselves in the center of God's life. Joy comes not when we put God in the center of our lives, but when we put ourselves in the center of God's life. And there is a difference, right? There's a difference between merely having God in your life and putting yourself in his. Or saying, God, would you do this for me? Instead of saying, God, I'm going to step into your will. I'm going to trust your will. See, the former, often we can get tempted and caught off guard, especially how culture shapes us, to use God to fulfill our purposes. Well, if I believe in God, and if I stand in faith in God, and if I trust in God, and if I pray, then he's going to make me successful or overcome or make me famous. But the later, the latter piece of this phrase is saying that if we trust God with our lives and trust him fully and put our lives in him, that's the best possible outcome. Whatever that outcome is, when we step into God's life, we trust what he's doing, what he's up to, and our part playing in that. And so I wrote it this way so we can remember it and think about it even this week. You can ask God into your life, or you can step into his. You can ask God into your life, or you can step into his. Now, I don't want to stop you from inviting God to work in you, from inviting God to be at work in, in, your, in your career, in your home, in your finances, to say, Lord, please show us, lead us, guide us. But sometimes that's the only bubble we work with. God, would you come, you know, come to me, come to me, come to me. We can ask God into our life or we can step into his. We can say, Lord, come into my circle because I want this circle to be good. Or we can say, God, I'm going to step into your circle. I'm going to trust you with what happens. And this is partly how Mary comes to this point to sing this incredible song that's been recorded in the Gospels. She comes to this point, this statement of faith. I mean, how does a young girl express such bold faith? How does she find herself in the middle of God's climactic shift in history that she becomes part of this climactic moment when God becomes flesh and moves into our neighborhood or makes his dwelling among us. 
Well, here's the backstory, because every song has a backstory, especially country songs. But every song has a backstory. And this song has a backstory too. Mary, she grew up in a town called Nazareth in a region of Galilee. She was very young at this moment when we meet her. She's probably a young, middle teenage girl at that time. That's often when young girls uh, got married. She was like any other Jew or any other person associated with Israel was waiting for God's kingdom to be fulfilled, was waiting for God to show up, was waiting for this detour that Israel took to come back, was waiting for them to get caught up in something God was going to do, was also waiting in hopes and practicality that maybe the oppression they were in would be stopped. And this angel shows up. We even have a name. His name is Gabriel. And he shows up to Mary and he says these words, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I mean, what would you do? What if you had a job interview the next day? Oh, sweet. I'm highly favored. <laughs> God's with me. You know, what if you like, had this big debt due the next day? Oh, great. Maybe God's going to wipe that out. Highly favored. Mary was really troubled. She, she was nervous. She, she doesn't really take this well. It shakes her up. And it's funny because twice we read that the angel tells her, you are highly favored of God. You're highly favored of God. And yet, she's asking, I think, the question, what kind of favor is this? Because no angel has ever showed up. Uh, this is a little scary. I'm nervous. I'm just, like, she, I wonder if she's wondering, is this going to disturb my plans? I'm, I'm engaged to Joseph. Is this incident going to change that? Is this going to mess that up? Is it going to change my dreams? Is it going to, um, you know, contrast my agenda? Is it going to destroy or damage my relationships? Is it going to disturb my life? What does favor mean for you? What what does that mean for you? See, often when we think the word favor, we think our success, our power, our prosperity, our fame. Favor is usually something's in it for me, right? Yesterday I was chatting with with my wife. We We had one of those conversations it's not an argument, it's a good dialogue, right? You know, like one of those. And so we, we were just talking about like our past and how we both grew up and, you know, who had what kind of clothes and this and that or whatever. And so she mentioned something about like the kind of clothes I wore. And so I, I spewed something out. I said, yeah, but well, and I remember there was this guy I knew. I said, well, I knew a guy that, that I would be able to go to his warehouse and buy stuff wholesale. And so I knew this guy and he was, he, he, he was like at the forefront of when Point Zero, the brand just started, you know, the brand Point Zero. And so he was the sales rep for Point Zero. And he literally helped it get huge. And he's become wealthy because of that. I knew this guy. He came to our church. And he said, whenever you want to come to the warehouse and buy clothes at wholesale price, you can come. So what 16-year-old kid wouldn't do that? I mean, sure, you know. I mean, that was a cool, kind of a cool new thing then. So I went. So I remember, I remember you know, telling that to Franca. And she's like, well, I knew him too, but he never invited me to the warehouse. <laughs> See, we think favor is often just for us. I had favor with this guy, therefore I got good deals and I had these kind of clothes or something, you know? And I never wear them today. Anyways, forget about it. (laughs) But the point is, we're often tempted to use God for our favor. When we put God at the center of our lives, sometimes we're tempted to find favor with people. Let me use God to find favor with people. But when we step into God's life, we start to discover what it means to be favored by God because we step into his purposes and his will. And it's not for us personally necessarily, like this idea that it's going to benefit me. There's always a benefit with God. 
but it's the motive. Favor for Mary was she would be part of what God was doing. She would be part of what God was doing. If you keep reading verses 34 to 36 to 37, um, the angel says, what you are, are part of is going to fulfill Israel's purpose and Israel's vocation. What you are a part of is going to continue King David's throne. And even though the kingdom was brought down to a stump, we've read the prophecies the last couple of weeks that a branch will come out and God will be doing something not just in continuity of that, but something fulfilling that and moving forward. That you will be part of the blessing of Jacob's descendants where her people came from. And bonus your cousin Elizabeth is going to give birth. Hey, you know your cousin Elizabeth that couldn't give birth and she's been childless? Her and Zachariah, your brother-in-law, they're going to have a baby. That's going to happen too. So all this stuff of what it means for Mary to step into God's will, what, what God is up to and what she can be a part of. But the funny thing is Mary wasn't convinced because do you ever read through this and catch Mary's response? It's like, how will this be? Like talking to, I mean, I've never talked to an angel but like, what's the deal with this? How is this going to happen? Really? Are you real? Do you understand this? I think there's a lack of realism, God, in what is happening here. How will this be? How will this be possible? Thomas Cahill says, he, 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 as he thinks about this story, he says, Mary doesn't see this unexpected turn of events as good fortune, but a premonition of what it will cost her. I could imagine her sitting there saying, okay, how is this going to happen? What is, and what is it going to mean for me? And how is this going to happen? And what's this going to, you know, how is this really going to play out? I think the more real and relevant sense for me is understanding this, that when God is up to something big, bigger than you, you're going to wrestle with it. I'm going to wrestle with it. When God is doing something beyond us and we're invited to step into that, there is likely a wrestling that will take place. It's going to rub us. It's going to shake us up. There could be a tension with our agenda and our purposes and our desires and our hopes and our dreams and our culture and our society and our worldview. Because when we step into God's life, all of a sudden there's, there could be a tension because our life over here was thinking, dreaming, planning differently. We step into God's life, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's, I don't know. I think there's a tension here. I feel, this is surprising. This might cost me something. And this might require a solid argument with God. <laughs> and, and we don't get the whole picture, and maybe I'm reading a little bit into this, but I can sense that there's something like, really, how's this going to happen? Let's talk this out. Years ago, when I felt a, a call, a specific call to vocational ministry, and I know that we, all, we always talk biblically that all of us are involved in ministry serving, but this specific call that I had to vocational ministry, full-time vocational ministry, and I've shared this story, I think, a couple of times with you, but there was this piece of it. I remember I was wrestling for months and months and months. God, do you want me to do this? God, is this really what you're putting in my heart? God, is this really a step you want to take? And I was sensing this specific calling, this specific conviction. And, and I, at the time, I was, I was involved in like kind of a path towards thinking about uh, finances and accounting. And I remember having this conversation with God. I remember like, God, I'm good at math. Kind of. God, I, I like numbers. I, God, I don't know why I like to read some of the business section. God, I can become an accountant and make money and give a lot of that money away and still serve the church. I remember having this kind of dialogue with God because his kind of calling was rubbing me 
And I wasn't sure, do I want to do that? Will I step into this? And having this conversation with God, God, I promise, God, I'll still serve you and I'll still be generous. But there was this dialogue. And I think whenever God invites us to step into his life, it's okay to know that there's going to be some tension and a dialogue in place. And you can hash it out with God. You can talk it out with God. You can share with him what's on your heart and where that rubs you and where that's going to bring tension and where you're going to see an obstacle and where you're feeling nervous or fear. See, faith isn't merely God coming into my life, but it's me stepping into his life. And here's what Mary would learn if she would respond. She would learn that this was God's thing and not her thing. This was God's thing and not her thing. And when it's God's thing and not your thing, and God invites you in, then it requires this incredible dependence on him to see this through, to accomplish more than she or us could ever imagine. You know, Paul prays this prayer in Ephesians 3, verse 19, that, that, we would, that, that when we, Paul prays this prayer, Lord, that you would do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine according to your power at work within us. Whenever we step into God's territory, that requires this dependence, this faith. Lord, you, can you do immeasurably more than we can even imagine, we can even pray for, that we would even think of praying for? Because when we step into his circle, all of, this is his thing, and we're invited in. And the angel specifically says to Mary, listen, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. God's very presence will come upon you and overtake you in a sense and and, and, and encourage you and empower you. See, when God does, what God does when, he steps in, when we step into his life, his Holy Spirit comes upon us. His Holy Spirit works in us too. Mary obviously experienced that. Now, you're listening to this and thinking, I, I promise you, I don't, I don't think this is ever going to happen again in somebody's life. You know, a virgin being pregnant with God's son. This was the climactic moment in God's history and story. But there's an example for us in that. That when God wants to do something and we step into his life, he empowers us by his Holy Spirit over us and working within us. And no wonder then the angel says, don't fear, Mary. <laughs> because Mary never experienced the fullness of that. Mary didn't, didn't, didn't know what that would look like or what that would mean. Mary, this, this young Jewish girl, she, she probably hardly heard the, ter- the Torah as much as her male friends did because they were probably more you know, around the synagogue than she was and listening to that as much as she was. And so she, 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 was like, she wasn't the likely instrument that God would use in her culture at that time, but God comes to her, invites her into his life, into his story. And no wonder the angel had to say, Don't fear. Don't be afraid. This young, vulnerable, inexperienced teenage girl. Don't fear, Mary. My Holy Spirit is going to work all this out. And this moment that catapults Mary into what God is doing, when she steps into his circle, there's a moment when she fully jumps in, when she fully takes her step and she says, okay, And it's these words where she says the words, I am the Lord's servant. That's what she says. I am 
the Lord's servant. And in that moment, we get the sense that Mary recognized, realized, made this decision, this is no longer about me. This is about what God is doing. This is no longer about me. This is what God is doing. I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. If it was our culture today, she's like, let me peg this moment. Let me take a selfie. You know, let me kind of Instagram this. Made it on God's team. Hashtag whatever, you know. And let me check into Facebook that I was at the corner of Nazareth Boulevard and, you know, whatever. And blah, right? But none of that happens. Partly because it didn't exist before. But, but we only know about Mary because she stepped into God's life in that moment. She stepped into what God was doing. We know Mary. We know her story because she stepped into what God was doing in that moment. It's not, it's not a prerequisite for us being known in any way. That's not the point. But the point is that her step of faith included her into what, was, into what God was doing. Into what God was doing. Now I want you to know something. It's not, her faith didn't cause it to happen. Sometimes we read the scriptures, you know, we step out in faith. Let's, let's see what God does. And there's moments where, where, where we see a step of ours. God uses it to do something. Her faith did not cause this to happen. Her faith brought her into what God was already doing. See the difference? Her faith didn't cause this. Her faith didn't make, you know, the Son of God come to earth. She stepped into what God was doing, and God included her in her plans. God had this plan at work. She stepped into it. The little line on the screen I want us to think about. If God is always at work, if God is always working, and that line is kind of like his trajectory, his story, his life, his will, what we see Mary do here is this moment of invitation, and this line is at work. God's story is being played out. This, this, this incredible moment in history where God becomes flesh. And God says, you, you want to join me? And so Mary steps into the line. And now she's, she's caught up in God's story. She's caught up in what he's doing. Not just saying, God, bless what I'm doing. She's like, what's God doing? Okay, I'm going to jump into that. She's caught up in it. This posture of a servant put her into God's story. It gave her a song to sing about. She had a story and a song expressing the moment she stepped into God's life, into God's will, into God's story. And then her final words are, may your word be fulfilled. May your word be fulfilled. I'm the Lord's servant, and if what you say is from God, amen. Basically, it's like, amen. May it happen. Yes. I don't make this happen, God. I love um, one version of this text. It's kind of like Mary Mary saying, okay, let's get on with it. Let's get on with it. I'm in. I'm game. Let's get on with it. I'm jumping in. What's next? And he writes as Mary was not yet aware what this would involve. But she says the words which become the model human response to God's unexpected invitation. She didn't know fully how this was going to turn out. She, didn't, she couldn't possibly plan that out. She couldn't possibly imagine everything that would unfold. She couldn't see She couldn't see Jesus' teachings and his healings and his interactions with the crowds and his walk towards crucifixion and his time in in the grave and his resurrection. She couldn't see that. She couldn't see the church explode with the power of the Holy Spirit. She couldn't see any of that. She was not aware what this would involve, but her words in that moment become this model response, this model human response to what God is doing, saying, I'm in, 
Let's get on with it. Let's do it. I'm, I'm in. I'm your servant. And so Mary teaches us in Advent this idea of coming, waiting, what it means to wait with anticipation and wait with action, both action and anticipation, action and anticipation. She definitely had an act of faith. She stepped in to what God was inviting her to. But when she sings that song, she's also waiting with anticipation. She announces what God will do, that the poor and the hungry and the humiliated will win one day because God is on their side. She's announcing it, but she's waiting in anticipation. She has an act of faith, and she doesn't just wait in action. She doesn't just step of faith in action. She's also anticipating with faith. That's this beauty, the big idea of Advent, that we wait both with action and with anticipation. We respond to God in action, and we wait in anticipation. And this is the kind of the, the cycle we live in as we follow Jesus. There's going to be moments when our time, our life on this side of eternity, where our response to God is going to be a step, an action step. And there's going to be moments, there's going to be seasons where our response to God is, okay, I'm going to just stand and believe that God is going to do this and wait in anticipation. Whether it's action or anticipation, you know what they both mean? They both mean allegiance to Jesus. They both say Jesus is Lord. They both say this king that was born of a virgin is my Lord and my king. See, faith sometimes requires action, and faith sometimes requires waiting, but faith in Christ always requires allegiance. Always allegiance. We step into God's circle, God's life, and this is where we struggle the most. And I'm going to kind of wrap up with this. This is where we struggle the most. Because when someone reads this story, and maybe you're here for the first time, or you're wondering about faith and Christianity, or someone reads the story, there's a compelling, beautiful piece to this story. That's why people are so enamored, even around the idea of this, this story and culture. But it's also controversial. Because the baby who was born was a king who claimed allegiance. Nobody in our culture wants to claim allegiance naturally to a king without knowing what the next steps are. It's interesting in our culture, though, we, you know, people align themselves with all kinds of crazy things, right? People align themselves with political parties. People align themselves with you know, ideologies. People align themselves with worldviews. People align themselves with, with you know, consumer debt. You know, they don't say it, but they're aligning themselves with it. They align themselves with those things sometimes without even realizing that these things are really lord over their life. The controversy, the struggle in the human heart is... Do I believe that this baby born will be the king of my heart and my life? Will I give him my allegiance? That's the struggle. So as we, as we wrap up today, as you move into this last week um, of Advent, as we move towards Christmas next week, just simple question. Simple question. How is God calling you to act and anticipate in faith? Where, where is God inviting you? Maybe there's a moment of action. That's your step. Maybe there's a moment of, I'm going to stand and believe, stand firm in this, and wait. How is God calling you to act or to anticipate in faith, to live and wait on this side of eternity in faith? Mary gives us that example. I'm going to put five things on the screen. I'm going to ask the team to come up as we close um, in a moment of reflection. And, and here are these, 
just these few things that, that I want us to, just, just to think about as we, as we wrap up, as we bring ourselves to the Lord, as we take a moment um, just to reflect on this. And, and, and may, I just, these five came to mind. We could have listed a few. But what it might mean to act in faith or wait and live in faith in our culture as we follow Jesus? What would it look like? You guys can start if you want. What would it look like to be content, genuinely content in a culture of consumerism? You think that takes faith? Sometimes. Content in a culture of consumerism. What would it look like to be generous in a culture of greed? To live generously when the world says, just, you know, gather, hoard, keep it, make, build. I say, what would it look like to be generous in a culture of greed? Where greed says, no, keep your fist tight. Generosity says, open your hand. What would it look like to be generous in a culture of greed? What would it look like to be, to be slow in a culture of speed? Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just you know, skim through everything. I'm going to go to the next thing. I'm going to plan the next thing. I'm gonna... And so what would it look like to be slow in a culture of speed? Maybe the reverse. What would it look like to risk in a culture that promotes relief and comfort? Pursue everything to make your life comfortable, to bring relief. What would it look like to, be, to, to risk in a culture of relief or comfort? And this one, what would it look like to stand and pursue purity in a culture of pleasure? Purity might mean standing in integrity with what you say and what you do and with honesty versus falsity. Purity might mean um, how you treat people. Purity might mean uh, sexual morality. Purity might mean um, the kind of things that you spread, the ideas you spread. What would it look like to stand in purity in a culture that lifts up pleasure. And I think all of these in one way, shape, or form require us to either act or stand and wait in in faith. Because so many things on, on that side of the screen, the consumerism, the greed, the speed, the comfort, the pleasure, and we can just list it, they're always grabbing our attention. They're always grabbing our attention. And it's those things too that will also manipulate how we see faith. Because if, I, if my worldview is pleasure and comfort and speed and wealth and consumerism, then I'm saying, God, come into my circle so you can build me and bless me and this and that and whatever, right? But when we step into his circle, we learn the rhythms of grace, the rhythm of his kingdom that ultimately is the best life. But our culture keeps lying to us that it isn't. To stand content, generous, slow, risky, pure, I'm going to ask you to stand as we close today. The team's going to lead us in a song, um, really inviting us to put our faith fully in Jesus. And uh, maybe, maybe one of these things are things that you're thinking about that God, just as we listed them, got your attention. Bring it to the Lord. Wrestle with Him. Right? Like, just like Mary did when, when she stepped into God's circle. She had to wrestle with, okay, what does this mean for my life? How does this rub my life differently? So maybe one of these things or maybe something else that I, didn't, I couldn't think of that God's getting your attention about as you step into his life, you know he's, kind of, he's doing something. He's, he's rubbing against your worldview, your, 
presupposition. You're, you're already made opinions or decisions. And let God work in that. Do you have faith? Do you, do you have faith to believe that stepping into his life is the best course of action? That's what it'll take. Trusting him. Trusting his authority. His kingdom vision for your life, for my life, for our life. Saying, God, what are you doing? Okay, I want to be a part of that. And then let, then wrestle with him and let him lead you and guide you. And trust that the Holy Spirit will empower you and guide you. Let's sing this song in a sense as a closing prayer. Father, there's moments where we hear the rumble in our heart, your voice, sometimes loudly, sometimes as a whisper, inviting us to step into your purposes, your will, your life. God, forgive us at times where our culture, our worldview, our society, the themes we're entertained with, God, have even led us to manipulate what it means to have faith in you. Sometimes in manipulating even our desires to have you involved in our lives, Lord. Forgive us, God, if the motives are just for our self-betterment. But let us trust you that our best life is before us when we step into your will, into your life. May we trust that, God. God, highlight the lies that often bombard us. That tell us the best life is elsewhere. God, we so long to be in favor with you than just society. So we stand in faith. Give us discernment when we're called to act in faith, when we're called to stand in anticipation, believing your promises. May it always come out of our allegiance to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And as we step out, God, we pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to come over us and to work within us. Oh God, we can't imagine as we depend on you what it will, what, what life, where life will lead us as we follow you, as we trust you, God. May we join what you're blessing, what you're doing. God, we pray even at the, the closing, soon closing to the end of this year, this is our last worship gathering in this kind of format, God, and we just say thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for Jesus, your son. Thank you for the work of your spirit. Thank you that we are so lavished to be called your children. Thank you, God. Oh, Lord, and may all that we have in you, Lord, may it overflow into how we are a local church, how we resource your purposes, how we step into faith, how we give of our time and serve. Oh, God, as we bless others around us, May there be a tangible witness. God, we pray specifically for next Sunday. We pray your Holy Spirit would be over our gathering. That it would be such a celebration of the incarnation of your son, Jesus, who stepped into our world. And that it would be such a a clear um, sowing of gospel seeds into our hearts and others' hearts, Lord. 
We pray for some of our friends that we're asking, family members. We pray for open doors. We pray for pathways for them to come and join us because we long, we long to them hear this incredible good news. God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.